Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just want to be open and expectant of your love and your grace for us this morning. Speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Open up our hearts, our minds, that we may be hearers of your word. May you speak this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shamid Hadid titled his 2021 April issue article in The Atlantic, America Without God. In it, he explores how in 1937 to 1998, church membership had remained relatively constant, hovering of about 70%. But then something happens. Over the past two decades, he says, that number has dropped less to, than 50%. That is the sharpest record decline in American history. Meanwhile, the nuns, not nuns, N-O-N-E-S, the nuns, atheists and agnostics, and those claiming no religion have grown rapidly and today represent a quarter of the population. A Pew Research Center study in September of 2022 reports titled Modeling the Future of Religion in America explores how from the 1990s large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of U.S. adults who describe their religious identity as atheists, agnostics, and none in particular. This accelerating trend is reshaping the U.S. religious landscape, leading many people to wonder what the future of religion in America might look like. The study, through mathematical projections and combined techniques standardly, used the demography which is the study of human populations, has collected this data in the surveys and religions, and they project that in recent trends in religious switching continue, switching meaning is defined in the report as a change between religion in which a person was raised during childhood and their present religious identity in adulthood. If Christians were to continue, Christians could make up less than half of the U.S. population within a few decades. This is a sobering thought. Who could ever imagine that this would happen? In reacting to this Pew Research study, Carrie Newhoff, the best-selling leadership author and podcast, in his daily blog, talks about how America's so-called Christian majority likely ended decades ago especially if one considers lifestyle markers like regular church attendance, Bible reading, and prayer. And I don't know about you, but at times it feels like we are just so far away from the words of Jesus when he said in the Gospels that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached to all the world as the witnesses 
to all nations. Just this weekend, I was sitting across a table in the prayer room, as you likely saw the pictures there, with a gentleman who told me, I don't believe. That is just our current reality, isn't it? We can say that we live in a rural town, that we live away from the city, away from the urban noise, but we often find ourselves bombarded, whether directly or indirectly, by secularism, idealism, and social factors. And although we may not experience the profound effects that it has in our society, as we are tucked away in what we call the Bible Belt, other parts in America, other cities, are filled, on these pockets of cities are filled with these situations that are happening and are being constantly bombarded. When we take a closer look and we dig a little bit deeper, we are able to see that we live in a post-Christian culture where apathy towards God and Christianity is often relegated and pushed back. Don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't want to know anything about God. But don't worry. There's good news. The gospel of Jesus. We have been going through the book of Acts. And if you recall, Jesus had told his disciples that they would be witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But up to then, up to the stoning of Stephen that we saw just and that we studied just a few weeks ago, until that point, Christians were only in Jerusalem and in Judea. They were not traveling. They were not taking the message everywhere. They were staying close to home. And as we read and we open up our Bibles in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it tells us what happened. It tells us that a persecution broke out. Acts chapter 8. Therefore, those who were scattered, verse 4 says, went everywhere preaching the word. And so they began to trickle out throughout the ends of the earth. And they were to find indirectly, here is where we find the first mention of global mission of a movement being done. And if you read here in Acts chapter 8, in the beginning of the story, in the beginning of the chapter, we're able to see that Philip, One of the apostles goes to Samaria and preaches Christ to them. And then from Samaria, he leads us down to the passage that Bernard read to us this morning. Follow with me closely. Acts chapter 8, starting verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The word of the Lord reads this way. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. So he arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch 
of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in scripture which he read was this. The passage tells us that Philip came in contact with an Ethiopian eunuch from Nubia, the remote kingdom of the south of Egypt. He would have been traveling, most likely returning home. Maybe he became a a Jew somewhere along the way. The fact that he visited Jerusalem in order to worship in the temple indicates that he was a proselyte a convert to Judaism. And now you have Philip ministering to this person. Luke clearly seems to identify a Gentile interesting, interested in visiting the temple. Although eunuchs were officially prohibited from entering the inner courts of the temple, according to the Torah in Deuteronomy 23, He could have certainly worshipped in the outer court. It is difficult to know how or whether the prohibition against the eunuchs was actually enforced. Whatever the case, it is certainly possible that during his stay, he had heard the echoes of the apostles preaching the temple. It also tells us that this man was a eunuch. He probably was castrated upon birth so that he would work for the royal officials. And then the scripture says that he had great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians. No doubt he was a high-ranking politician, a powerful person, because he was responsible for the treasury of the queen possibly even perhaps the treasurer even of the states. I love his honesty when I read the scriptures. And he says, he's reading out loud, which, which would be something, by the way, which would be something normal in an oral culture. For you see that this was a normal custom in antiquity. People would read out loud. And he's reading the scripture out loud. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah out loud. And Philip hears him and says, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, How can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And this teaches us today that even 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years later, in a rural town here in East Texas, that people have questions. They will not be answered on their own unless we ask Philip with the Ethiopian, the eunuch, go and guide them. We can do good deeds. We can do acts of justice. We can have acts of mercy. But people have questions that demand answers. In the words of Paul in the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it resonates exceedingly 
to us this morning when he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, of good news. The English word for gospel is derived from the Anglo-Saxon word Godspell, good story. But the word itself comes from the classical Greek word euangelion, euangelion, which literally means a reward for bringing good news or the good news itself. This ancient word in the Roman Empire, in which the Roman emperor was venerated as a spirit and protector of the empire, was used for an announcement. This was an official announcement that a new emperor was on the throne. Messengers would go throughout the Roman Empire, and they were sent out to proclaim the good news that there's a new emperor that there is a new emperor on the throne, the Euangelion, the new emperor that had taken power and was sitting on the throne. And the early church took this and the Roman concept and applied it to Jesus. The true king has come. That is Jesus, who has brought the reign of God to our world through his life, death, and resurrection, that he is seated on the throne and the rule of reign is now here. The good news, the euangelion of Jesus demands ears and feet, messengers that would go and tell others. Didn't I tell you this morning during the lesson that there was going to be some similarities? I gave you a warning. Because like the Ethiopian, Many in our city are asking questions. How can I understand? More than a church or a denomination or an institution, we are a movement that must be shared and must share the good news of Jesus. The gospel must be spread throughout the city, our friends and our community. This is the movement of Jesus. But the story goes on. And the passage says here, verse 32, come with me, Acts chapter 8, verse 32, the passage that he was reading, it says, the place in the scripture which he read was this, he was led as sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth in his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at, the, at, at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. This passage that he is reading, as we are mostly familiar is Isaiah 53, which is known as the passage as the, of the suffering servants, a messianic prophet, prophecy. 
How do you even begin to, uh, to explain that Jesus is the anointed one? That he is the Messiah? Because remember, the New Testament did not exist. Only the Torah, the writings, the, the prophets. How do you begin to explain that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one? The story is told of a boy who was sitting in the school under his desk. And as he was sitting under his desk, all the other kids had gone to recess. And they were outside, they were playing. And this, the, the kid was sitting alone under his desk. And the teachers frantically had come into the room to check on him, but he would not come out. Desperately, they got another teacher to come in and also the principal of the school to come in to try to see if they can get the, the kid out of the, uh, under the desk, but he would not come out. Desperately, it had passed several hours They offered him some food, they offered him some things, but the kid just sat there crying as he was being bullied at school. He just sat there crying and he would not move, he would not eat. Then, in their angst of anxiety and desperation, they went to the counselor, the school counselor, and they came and got him and showed him the situation. And she He came over and when he saw the kid, he didn't say anything. He just went under the desk and sat next to the kid. And they both sat together. And this story reminds me of Jesus. I have a God who sits there next to us through our sufferings, through our sorrows, through our longings. He does not ask us many questions. He does not say, what's wrong with you? Here's food, here's this. But He sits next to us in our suffering. He is a co-sufferer. That even through our suffering, He suffers there with us. At the heart of the message of Jesus is a God who suffered in the cross. A cross. For you and me. We have a God who suffers with us. A God who being in the form of God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal to God. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant. And coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The cross that was used for torture, the cross that was used that was a symbol of utter humiliation and punishment because of Jesus is now a symbol of hope 
restoration, and redemption. That is the message of the gospel. People need to know about Jesus. That's the reason why we have crosses in our churches, in our church buildings, because no longer is the cross looked as something negative, but it's looked as something positive because of Jesus. And so you say this morning, so what? What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do in my life? Well, you know what? There's gentlemen, just like I met this last Sunday, who are depressed, who are sad, who live without hope. Even many of us might feel sometime that way too. That's the reason why we need movement and we need grace. The call, the invitation this morning is that we may be a movement of hope, that we may live and breathe the gospel of Jesus, that we may be open and expectant to receive the Father's love and grace in our lives. May it be so. May it be so. Thank you, Father, for all the things that you do in our lives. Lord, may we be expectant of your love and your mercy towards us. May we fall in love with you again. May your love flow ever over us, Lord. May we be a movement. May we talk to others about Jesus. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.